You were relaxed? <laughs> That's not a loaded question. <laughs> Just, you know, he chilled. Some of us should be. Not sure I am particularly. But we're continuing this morning our, che- our theme of church community. And this morning I want to talk about the purpose of community. And uh, I was thinking about this, and I actually listened to a, a leadership podcast um, some time ago, which covered this whole idea of purpose. And on listening to it, I'd immediately turned it off and um, sort of deleted the whole thing, because what I heard was a bit frightening. Um, and I, I didn't actually want to hear it, so I thought, well, no, this is, this is obviously not from God. So I deleted the podcast. Um, but when I was praying about this, this podcast came back to mind, so I listened to it again, and I thought, this is inherently so frightening, I think I should preach some of it on Sunday. So, are we still chilled? So, but this is actually, the reason that it's scary is that it's exciting. The whole idea of purpose is something that I think we actually miss in church, and not just in church, but in our society as a whole, the whole idea of purposefulness is actually misunderstood. So I'm going to actually explain a bit about that and hopefully inspire and excite you to take on a life of purpose in our church community. Who's with that? that? That's a good idea? Good, excellent. Let's just pray. Lord, I pray right now that your word inspires and encourages us this morning. But more than that, leads us on a call to action to actually do something about what we hear and change our lives through those actions. In Jesus' name. Everybody who's prepared to do that said, Amen. Amen. About half of you. Good. Okay. Let me start off with a couple of scriptures that are well known to you, uh, but I believe are scriptures that when we read them, we find encouragement for ourselves in them. The first is is Jeremiah 29.11. Who knows that one? It says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Wouldn't, if God appeared before you right now and said that, would you be encouraged? I think I would be. But, but that's Old Testament stuff. Something from the New Testament. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Excuse me, I'm going to have to have a drink before I cough all over you. Ever seen uh, Jim Carrey's impression of a Rottweiler? <laughs> Barking? No. Uh, involved a lot of water. Uh, Romans 8.28 And we know that God causes everything. What does he cause? Everything. To work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So even in the New Testament, we hear that we are actually called to have a purpose in life. But it's interesting The original hearers of those words were not individuals. They were not actually spoken to individual people. They were spoken to groups of people or communities. So they're not actually initially intended as individual personal encouragement. They are called to encourage groups of people. When Jeremiah says, I know the plans and purposes I have for you, he means yous. (laughs) Because God is Australian, of course. And... And in Romans, Paul is actually talking to the church when he says that all things work together for the good of those of you, all of you, who love God and all are 
called according to his purpose for you as a church. So it's not actually as individualistic as we think. So there are two ways of looking at it. There's ways of looking at purpose as a community and purpose as an individual. And I want to look at both of those this morning. Let's start with community. Because last week I spoke about how the, the purpose and the mission of the New Testament church was given in Matthew 28. And just in case you've forgotten that, let's read that again. Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. So that was, that's our purpose as a, as a church. And then we, we saw that in, in Acts, the, the revelation that the disciples received from the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost resulted in the church described in Acts 2. And I've actually changed this a little, a little bit and put it in bullet points so that it's nice and clear for you. Uh, Acts 42 says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals and to prayer. And all the believers met together in one place, shared everything they had, sold their property and possessions, shared money with those in need, worshipped together each day, met in homes for communion, shared their meals with great joy and generosity, and were praising God. They were doing all of these things. So out of all of those things, can you tell me, what was the purpose of those things? Anybody want to hazard a guess? Which one, which one on that list was the purpose? None. Their purpose, no matter what they were doing, their purpose was still go and make disciples of all nations. And so the thing is that what, as a church, they were doing, they were doing all of those things purposefully. But the purpose was not what they were doing. And this is sometimes where people get mixed up. Their purpose was still Matthew 28, but they were doing all of those things with great purpose because... The things they were doing were not the end, they were the means to the end. And that's a really important point to get hold of. So the plans mentioned in Jeremiah 29.11 and God's purpose in Romans 8.28 are not about how we do church. They're about why we do church. The purpose of the church community is bigger than that community. Because do you know why we're here? We're here for the people who aren't here. The purpose of a church community, and although we love doing all of those things, the purpose of our community is actually for the people who haven't walked in the door yet. They're for people who haven't been born yet. They're for people that we haven't met yet. They're for people we have met and are talking to about um, Jesus. But they're not here. Our purpose has got to be bigger than ourselves. We do not exist just to have communion. We do not exist to have Fellowship, or to share meals with one another, or share everything we have. But do we do all of those things? Yes. Should we keep doing all of those things? Yes. But we need to understand that it is a means to an end. Because our church community has a purpose. And who thinks that's all right for a, a, a group of people to have a purpose? In fact, who thinks it's probably boring if they don't? You know, can you imagine the Tiddlywinks Club getting together and saying, well, we're going to call ourselves the Tiddlywinks Club, but does anybody know how to play Tiddlywinks? No? Okay, well, let's just go out for dinner. Um, and we'll still call ourselves the Tiddlywinks Club, but as nobody knows how to play Tiddlywinks, we won't bother. It would be, who, who would go? It's just like, what? 
You're the Tiddlywinks club. Who's the champion? Oh, well, we don't have a club champion because nobody knows how to play Tiddlywinks. Uh, it would be embarrassing. So we're all really okay with the idea that as a community, we need to have a purpose. But are we okay with the idea that as part of that community, we as individuals need to have a purpose as well? Because what, what is one of the most common questions people ask about life? What am I here for? What is my purpose in life? How can I, what am I meant to do on this earth? And so, if we're part of a community that has a purpose, what attitudes and what sort of beliefs do we have to have to empower our community purpose? How might we apply Jeremiah and Romans to our lives as individuals? And let me tell you, this is where it gets scary. Because it's okay to think of a community as having a purpose. But when we look at ourselves and what our own purpose might be, the answer is not always what we expect. One of the most liberating revelations that new Christians experience is the revelation that God has a purpose and plan for our lives outlined in those two scriptures I just mentioned, which gives meaning to our existence. So why does the world seem to lack people living with purpose, even in the church? It's because people don't understand the meaning of purpose. Here's a definition of purpose. Purpose is the reason for which something exists or is accomplished, a means to an end. In fact, the purpose of almost anything we like to imagine is a means to an end. Everything in your home has a purpose, and that purpose is not itself. Barry, and I'm telling tales out of school here, Barry yesterday went and bought himself a cordless screwdriver. It came in a nice tin with all the screwdriver bits around it. It is, was it, what colour is it, Barry? Blue, oh, it is a deep, vibrant blue. And Barry is excited, so excited about this cordless, he's put it on the mantelpiece for everyone to see. And he's probably never going to use it because it, it, it looks just so good. Who knows that that's not why we get cordless screwdrivers. We get cordless screwdrivers to use to actually do stuff. I mean, I've got, I was going to bring it in today, but it was too shy. Um, I've got a, a Ryobi cordless drill, and I'm very proud of it. Because I bet you didn't know that it is the hero of the ministry centre across the road. Who's had a coffee there? Who's, who, who's looked at the coffee counter? My cordless drill was instrumental in drilling holes in that. And in those holes, we put screws in, which joined together bits of timber, which we then sort of painted and covered with other bits of timber, which it probably drilled holes in some of those as well. And I'm just so proud of it because of, of, of what, it, what it did, because it, it's exciting that you can get a drill that can build things like that. Now, notice that we don't, I mean, until I just mentioned it then, none of you gave a toss about what I used to build that, <laughs> that counter. Because the thing is, the drill did something it had a purpose, but the purpose was not the end. The holes are actually not particularly exciting or important in that. They're sure they're an integral part of it, but that drill 
drilled holes so that screws could hold a structure together so that we could put coffee on the structure inside a building which houses a purpose which gives people coffee but also sort of teaches children. But the whole purpose of that building is to actually be a part of our church and the purpose of our church is to reach out beyond our community. So that drill is a means to an end. It has a purpose, but that purpose is not itself. Because like Barry, and, I, and I'm pretty sure he's not going to do this, we, we don't put those things up on the shelf and say, admire my tools. Admire the, me the means to the end that we're looking for. Isn't it great? We'd better not use it in case the battery goes flat. Now, if you've got a, a, a good power tool, the, the, the goodness of it is the fact that you can use it to destruction and it will have lived its life well and you can... Well, perhaps not toss it away, but give it to your younger brother or something because uh, he can't afford a expensive power tools. But so we've got all these things in our life which have a purpose and we're excited about that purpose because it enables us to do things. But when we talk about a life of purpose, people don't want to be a means to an end. You think about it. We want to be the end. We don't want to be the means to the end. We, we, we're it. You know? I want to know the meaning in life so that I can glorify me. Isn't that's what we're all about, isn't it? We don't want to be a means to an end. We want to be the end. And this is why people resist the idea of purpose. Because eventually, there's a sacrifice. There's a call to action that brings them up against the realization that if you take on a purpose, you are committing yourself to something bigger than you and also not you. And that's the scary thing. As long as you're hung up on what is my purpose and why am I here, you're probably not going to find your purpose. Purpose is always found just across the border of what's in it for me. Purpose is becoming a means to an end that is not you. So what questions should we be asking? That's it's gone very quiet in here. You guys still with me? Still, you're still excited about the idea of having a purpose-filled life? You don't sound too sure about it. So rather than ask, why am I here? Perhaps a better question is, who am I here for? Rather than asking yourself, what is my purpose? Ask yourself, who is my purpose? To be effective, vision has to translate into purpose. I can inspire you till the cows come home. Well, hopefully I can inspire you. But until there is a call to action, until vision turns into purpose, nothing actually happens. Purpose is a path to meaning so that I can't be the end. And I have to become the means to the end. It means saying no to me. Who likes to say no to me? I mean, no. Who, like, who likes to say no to themselves? <laughs> oh, I was going to say I could get into trouble with that one. Um, we have to say, I have to say no to me so that I can say yes to something bigger than me that's not me. Sounds like a diet, doesn't it? Purpose carries with it the momentum to move you through the barriers that would otherwise slow you down. So it's actually action. To have purpose, you actually have to do something about something that isn't you. And you have to lay you down. So purpose has a price. You can't have meaning as long as it's all about me. 
Our own glory is too small a thing to live for because God created us with greater things in mind. There's, there's, a, there's a great quote that I love. It's a bit of a tongue twister, but I think it encapsulates what I'm trying to say. It says, those who devote themselves to themselves will ultimately have nothing but themselves to show for themselves. But if you devote yourself to more than yourself, you will ultimately have more than yourself to show for yourself. That is true in life. I can tell you where, you, where do you learn this stuff? You learn it from funerals. What, what's, a good fun, what's a good funeral? A funeral is where you go to it and celebrate a life that has been worth living. What's a life worth living? It's a life that's been given away. A month ago, Vicky's father died. And I, I think, without going into too much, I mean, I've known Vicky's father since I was nine years old. And in that time, there have been times when Vicky's father has frustrated me, angered me, um, and annoyed. I mean, there have been really good times, don't get me wrong. But he was not what you'd call a perfect person. In fact, he had character, traits and actions that sometimes caused harm and distress to people. Hello, who hasn't? But the thing is, when we went to celebrate his life, the people who got up and spoke about him spoke about what he had done for them. The, the thing that we celebrated about Vicky's dad was the fact that he gave his life away to people. He did things for people. He had ideas and visions and dreams which brought his family in, gave other people ideas expanded their horizons, their potentials, all of these things. And these are the things that came out in his grandchildren, especially, who got up and got choked up about the fact that he had spent time with them, teaching them. It's mainly, he was a very hands-on person. He, would, he, he loved cordless drills, let me tell you. But he, what he loved was passing on that knowledge or, or enjoying what other people did. I mean, Ben, at a very early age, got into cars and... Vicky's father was not particularly one in, in the cars, I don't think, but he enjoyed the fact that Ben enjoyed something that inspired him. And so he, he used to post on Facebook all these encouraging messages to Ben. He'd comment on the cars and things. And I asked him once, he says, oh, I don't know what, anything about cars, but, but I, I just wanted to encourage him because he's got an interest that he, he was giving his life away. So funerals are where we actually discover what people have given their lives for and whether their lives are actually worth celebrating. So when people say there has to be more to life than this, what they're really saying is there has to be more to life than me. That's what we're really saying. So how do you start to live a life of purpose? Well, the first thing is, and here's some, here's some practical tips, you have to shift your thinking about what you're doing now to embrace purpose. Have you ever heard anybody come to you and you, and say, I've got a dead-end job. I don't like my job. hate my job. You know, if it wasn't for the paycheck, I wouldn't do my job. That attitude is end thinking. The job is an end, a dead-end job. But you see, jobs are a means to an end. You actually struggle. If you're going to make your job an end... It has no purpose. It brings you, but the thing is, it brings you an income so that you can pay the bills. If you don't think your job has a purpose, you just haven't discovered it yet because you're not thinking properly. People say, I just teach kids. 
I just work in accounts. I just work in the office. I just stay home and raise the children. You don't just do anything. It's a means to an end. And as soon as you get that straight in your head, you can actually utilize that means to change the end that you want. For example, parents. Parents are wonderful people, nearly as good as grandparents. But the thing is, your greatest contribution to the world, the most purposeful thing you do, the most meaningful thing you do, your greatest contribution to the world may not be something you do. It may be someone you raise. Because parenthood is a means to an end. Think of, um, who's that old guy in the States? Who's Billy um, Graham. That's the one I, thank you. It's great to have an encyclopedia in front of you. You can ask a crowd and somebody will know the answer. I don't think his dad was actually a particularly famous evangelist. In fact, nobody's heard of Billy Graham's dad. I'm sure Billy Graham knows him. But the thing is that he might not have been famous, but what he did in his life to bring up his son changed the world. So it's not about what we do. Sometimes it's about who we're doing things with. Just a small tweak in our thinking. The second thing, if you want to live a purposeful life, you need to look inside yourself and think, what stirs your heart? The great question is, what do you think about when you can go away and think about absolutely anything you like? What is the first thing that comes to mind that you would like to do, that inspires you, that encourages you, that you do? What, what is it? The thing that would absorb your life if you didn't have to go to work, pay the bills. What, what excites you? What gets, what gets your blood sort of pumping? Get a hold of it. You can have your purpose can, comes out of what stirs your heart. Pay attention to you. Because what stirs your heart can lead you down the path of something that takes you beyond you. So, I mean, a, lo a lot of people think, well, I can't do what I really want to do because God has a plan for me and it's selfish to do what I want to do. God has put those dreams in, in you so that you can actually utilize what God has given you. So listen to your heart. Don't ignore it. The third thing is, Begin to serve others. Because if you serve others, guess what? It gives you a purpose bigger than you. We look at service as a, as a drudge. You know, I, yeah, I, ha I, have to, I have to volunteer in, in church on Sunday. You know, I have to preach at youth. What a drag. You know, I don't think, that's the, uh, don't think that's the attitude Cody had. He served because he was excited about the possibility of a purpose in life bigger than him. And see, that, that's, what, that's what should stir us. We need to be looking to serve things bigger than us. It might just be you know, collecting the offering in church on a Sunday morning. That's actually enlarging people's hearts because they're involved in something that's bigger than them. I don't know whether you know this, but the people who actually collect the offering aren't allowed to take anything out. <laughs> uh, you people who take you know that, don't you? <laughs> Because they're not serving for themselves, they're serving something bigger than themselves. And so we need to begin to serve others. It's like Fiji. Uh, every year we, we organise a trip to Fiji uh, to help build houses for poorer communities in Fiji. And let me tell you, I still have the battle scars of the last time I went to Fiji. And, and got cuts and scrapes and all sorts of things which 
aren't healing as fast here because the, the sun isn't as strong. Um, but summer's coming, so that's really good as opposed to winter. Um, sorry, Game of Thrones reference thrown in there. Um, but the thing is, I, you, you don't hear me coming home and saying, oh, we went on a missions trip to Fiji and, and we served and, oh gosh, it was tough. And uh, I really have to think well, about whether I'm going to do that again because it really took a lot out of me and that, that ungrateful bunch over there and it, it's just... All right, but. God called me to do that sort of service, so I probably will have to go again. Uh, you, you notice that the people who come back from Fiji don't do that? I mean, we know what it's like over there. It's hot and sweaty and dirty and absolutely phenomenally enjoyable because we're serving something bigger than ourselves. The, the satisfaction you get out of it, the, 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 the thrill of doing it is amazing, but it doesn't mean that, no... I don't have cuts and scrapes and things. It doesn't mean it wasn't hard and we sweated and had to drink heaps of water and people fainted and all sorts of things happened. It wasn't not that it wasn't hard. The thing is that it was worth it. Having a life of purpose, once you take on a purpose bigger than yourself, there is a sacrifice. But you'll find that people who do that sort of thing, people who take missions trips overseas, people who go beyond their own life and do something, you can ask them, well, is it hard? Is it a sacrifice? And they'll say, yes. But a life of purpose, once you have embarked on it, they will never go back. Because having a life of purpose is far more worthwhile than having a life without it. And people who have a life of purpose will never go back to an ordinary life. So begin to serve. Begin to do something that is beyond yourself because it will be worthwhile. And number four, surround yourself with purposeful people. This is why we have church. Because we have a common purpose in the worship and service of Jesus Christ. And the more you hang around people with that, with that purposeful attitude, guess what? It changes who you are. You become more purposeful. You become bigger in yourself because you're serving something bigger than yourself. They did a study and mothers and fathers of teenage children will know this, that when you hang out together, the people that you hang out with actually change your brainwave patterns. Who you hang out with is incredibly important because what they, they measured in, in all generations of life, if you hang out with other people with a common interest, suddenly, well not suddenly, but over a period of time, all of your brainwaves synchronise. So it's not just a law of attraction, there's science behind it all. As we come in close contact with each other, as we share ideas, as we have a common purpose, our brainwaves all start to align. And we start to think the same and do the same thing. So, who do you want to surround yourself with? Because if you surround yourself with people who are thinking the wrong things, doing the wrong things, guess what? Your brainwaves will change. I mean, the Bible doesn't say that bad company corrupts good morals, because it sounded like a nice thing to say. It's that years of experience have shown that if we are drawn to people, especially strong people who have a, a, a purpose which is, goes against ours, it will subvert our purpose. So we have to make sure to hang around, make sure our friends are purpose-filled people. Because pur purpose is a pathway to meaning. When an individual, a family or a church embraces the idea of purpose, they become a means to an end. 
That's what meaning means. To have meaning means to become a means to an end. And that's the thing that people don't get. They think purpose is about them, but it isn't. Meaning or purpose is about being a means or a purpose to a different end. You cannot have meaning in life if you're not willing to become a means to an end that is not yourself. Remember, those who devote themselves to themselves will ultimately have nothing but themselves to show for themselves. But if you devote yourself to more than yourself, you will ultimately have more than yourself to show yourself. As a church, we are committed to a life of purpose. As individuals, we have a choice. If we're going to contribute to that community of purpose, we need to be people of purpose. We need to start thinking differently about our current situations. We need to examine our hearts to find out what stirs us. We need to begin to serve others and we need to hang around purposeful people. Let's stand this morning. Was, it, was anybody a bit inspired this morning? Was anybody really inspired this morning? Was anybody just a little bit inspired this morning? Oh, okay. Well, that, that works well. What did I say earlier? I can inspire you all I like, but until you take up the call to action, you only have a life of inspiration, not a life of purpose. So I want to I challenge you this morning with a prayer. And, I, and I'm warning you, it's a bit like, you know, you know, that when I first became a Christian, they warned me, never pray for patience. Because God will answer that prayer. And so this morning, I want you to pray for purpose. But only if you're serious. Because purpose has a price. Purpose requires serving something bigger than yourself. Service, uh, purpose requires action. And so if you pray it, God will actually change your circumstances to make you act. He will actually make you uncomfortable. And you've heard that people only change when the pain of change is smaller than the pain of staying the same. It's a story I, I have regaled you with before, but there are some people who might not have heard it, about the guy who calls into a, a cabin in a, on a mountain track up in the Ozark Mountains somewhere in America, and he's asking for directions and there's a guy in a rocking chair and a big dog sitting next to him. And as he goes up to ask the, the guy for directions, the dog goes, Oh! And uh, he sort of ignores that and asks the guy. In the middle of it, the dog again, Oh! And uh, he says, nice dog, he says, but what's he making that noise for? And uh, the old man says, Ah, oh, that's nothing. He's lying on a nail. And he says, why doesn't he get off? He says, well, the pain isn't that bad. And that, that, that's how we live our lives. You know, people ask us, why don't we change our lives? Oh, well, it's not that bad. But if we want to change, we have to, make sh we have to be in a place where the, the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. So if you're in that place, I believe this is your morning. Lord, I pray right now for everybody under the sound of my voice.
Everybody that is inspired to action by your word, by the presence of your Holy Spirit. I ask, Lord, that you fill us with your purpose. You enable us with your purpose. You fill our hearts, our minds, our spirits with a sense of your purpose. A desire to serve, a desire to live out of our heart. Our desire to serve something bigger than ourselves. And Lord, we pray right now that that inspiration to purpose turns into action to purpose. We commit to that, to taking that step, turning vision into purpose. In Jesus' name. Everybody who really means it said amen. Before we finish, just let me ask you, if you're here today and you haven't ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, you haven't ever started on a journey with a relationship with Jesus, because the whole idea of church community, the whole idea of actually having a life of purpose starts with purposefully aligning yourself with Jesus Christ. It's like I said, you know, it's the people you hang around with who change the way you think, feel, act, and believe. And we're actually called as Christians to hang around Jesus. I mean, that's what Christianity is about. It's not necessarily hanging around each other is really good. But it's just a club unless we're hanging around Jesus as well. And so the first step we take as Christians is to actually tell Jesus that we're, we're going to hang around. We, we're in it for the long haul. And so we make a commitment. We say, okay, Jesus. From now on, you're the Lord of my life. I'm following you, nobody else. And that's going to be my life from now on. And we do that with a short prayer. And so if you're here this morning, you've never accepted Jesus into your life. You've never prayed a prayer where you've committed yourself to following him. I want to give you that opportunity in a moment. I'm actually going to ask people to close their eyes. While their eyes are closed, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so I can see it. And when I see that, we can pray together a prayer that invites Jesus into your heart. And if you're here, you've done it before, but you know that that relationship you've had has either been ignored or you've walked away from it and you want to actually come back and rededicate your life to a life walking with Jesus. We can pray that very same prayer. I'm going to invite you to raise your hand as well. So can I have everybody's eyes closed, heads bowed. And if you're here, and you've never given your life to Jesus, or you have, but you know that you really need to rededicate yourself. Can I ask you, while nobody's looking around, nobody can see you, just to lift your hand so that I can see it and acknowledge it. And I would love to pray a prayer to bring you and Jesus together in relationship. Thank you, I see that hand. Is there anybody else here who wants to make that commitment? Can I ask you to Lift your eyes, look to the front, and I think if we pray together, I think it's good to remind ourselves, even if we, we are in a relationship with God, of what we need to do. So if I pray and you respond, uh, copying my words after I've done it short enough so that you don't forget what I've said. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, from this day forward, I commit my life to you. I leave my old life behind 
I reject my old beliefs and I take on board a relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus, that I am now a child of God. Bless me, encourage me, and make my path a path with you. Okay, so I'm a bit clumsy with these things. Don't, don't give me a hard time. If you've said that for the first time this morning, it's not a magic bullet. It's a commitment that you've made to start on a journey. It's an exciting journey, and you have my congratulations. Uh, can I ask that you ask, perhaps come out the front at the end of the service and uh, got somebody here who would uh, love to give you a, a welcome pack and some guides as to the next steps. Uh, that you need to take. Uh, we'd love to help you on that journey. Uh, and uh, I'm going to hand over to Pastor Vicky to close the meeting.